With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Tuesday, May 5th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga. I'm joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Uh, Paul, Cinco de Mayo, but we got a great show uh, today. We got a special guest, uh, Indians video replay coordinator Mike Barnett is going to join us shortly. Uh, Barney is one of the best guys uh, on the, the coaching staff and in the clubhouse, a real fun guy to talk to. Uh, and, and he's got some stories about the, uh, the season that he and Tito spent coaching Michael Jordan in AA. Yeah, he was the hitting coach there, Joe, and uh, very nice guy, really a good baseball guy, and, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that was working every day with Michael Jordan. Think about it. You're, you're the AA hitting coach in Birmingham, and your, the, your big project that season is to get the best basketball player in the world to, to become a professional hitter. And, and by the end of the season, by all accounts, you know, he had, he had turned him into a guy who could be at least a, a workable piece in a, in a double a outfield. It, it was pretty amazing. If you think about it. Yeah, it's gotta be, that had to be a cool uh, experience. You know, Tito has talked a lot about it, uh, but I've, I've never talked to, well, we've never talked to uh, Mike Barnett about it. So this should be interesting. Yeah, uh, Barnett, uh, hitting coach. Uh, he's got, he, you know he's got credentials as well with the the Blue Jays, the Astros, the Royals. He's he's been all over. Uh, but you know when it comes down to it, when when Tito came and settled in Cleveland, you know he brought Barnett along, just like you know his his guy Brad Mills. He brought with him, uh, and Barnett's a guy who, you know, had a had a place on his staff. You know, five years ago he he joined the Indians and and has been with them ever since. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, the replay guy, and he's going to be have to have to be a little faster this year, Joe, if they ever get the season started, because uh, the replay, uh, the time limit on the replays have been sh- uh, uh, whittled from thirty seconds to twenty. So you're going to have to make some quick calls. All right. Well, we'll talk with uh, Indians replay coordinator Mike Barnett as our special guest when we come back. All right. Our guest today is in his fifth year as the Indians uh, replay coordinator. He's a longtime hitting instructor with the Blue Jays, the Royals, Astros, and White Sox. And he was with Terry Francona back in 1994 when Michael Jordan played double-A baseball for the Birmingham Barons. Uh, Mike Barnett, welcome to the show. Barney, good to talk to you. Good to see you. Uh, you know, at, at least looks like you guys are doing well. Where are you hanging out during the quarantine? 
Hi, Joe. Hoinsie. Yeah, I'm in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, been nice. The weather's been fantastic for the most part. Supposed to get some rain today, but uh, it's been a different time of year for sure. I've never experienced anything like this. Barney, it's supposed to snow here Friday and Saturday oh, over the weekend. <laughs> So you're not missing anything weather-wise. Well, for sure. You know, it's a, it's a good excuse to stay in during the weekend, uh, get cozy, and 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 watch this uh, this documentary series that's been going on ESPN on Sunday nights. The uh, the the Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, is really sort of uh, taking a, a grip over over the whole country every week. Uh, and and coming up this weekend is is sort of the big one for for you and for. For Tito, it's 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 where they get into the whole uh, 1994 season and and Jordan's sort of foray into to double A. We've seen Jordan really sort of going after and settling all his old scores here with uh, all of his rivals in this document. It's it's been talked about how he's he's really get going after Jerry Krause and Isaiah Thomas and all that. You you and Tito, you guys are not worried about anything, right? In this uh, <laughs> part seven and eight, no, right? No, we had a great relationship with Michael, so I don't think. We're going to have any problem with that. And we all we had a lot of fun with them, and it was uh, a memorable, fantastic year and a really good learning year too. Uh, you know, you've you've talked about that in the past. I, I, I yesterday I watched the uh, the E sixty the the thirty for thirty that they did about Jordan rides the bus. I, I don't know if it was a it's about ten years old now actually. So so you've been yeah. you've, you've sort of been through all this already before you people have done a documentary uh, entirely on that whole. Uh, that season. Uh, so you, do you find yourself coming up with the same stories and the same memories or are you, you, you rediscovering new ones as you, as you sort of dive back into this? Uh, you know what? We, we had so many good memories and things like that, that occasionally when I talk to somebody, you know, one that'll pop in from the past that I hadn't talked about before will show up. And, uh, but yeah, we've, it, it's been talked about extensively for sure. Um, and it's all, it's fun reliving those memories. And I know, uh, last year we talked about it was the 25th anniversary and Tito and I could not believe it had been 25 years since, you know, he played baseball and it, it just, uh, they talk about time flies. It really does. But that year and a lot of those memories are indelible in your mind and uh, a lot of fun and just really cherished them. It was great. So a lot of good stories though from that year. Uh, you, uh, you know, we, we've seen, so some of these flashes they show the video um, uh, on on Twitter that they've they've taken clips out uh, the one of uh, Tito coaching third base as he as Jordan rounds a, on a on a triple in the, in the fall league I believe uh, that year um, are there other are there any stories about like the unwritten rules that you had guys had to teach him and talk to him about uh, that that he had to make adjustments that conflicted with that sort of basketball mentality that he had. Yeah, definitely. One, uh, probably the best one was uh, we were uh, playing the Chattanooga Lookouts, and we had a great rapport. Dave Miley was the manager of their club who managed the Reds for a while, the big leagues, and, and just a career baseball guy. Mm-hmm. So we're playing uh, Chattanooga, I believe it was in Birmingham one night, and so we're up 11 to nothing in the eighth inning, and Michael hits a dub- or a triple – or double to right center field, gets mm-hmm. on second base. He's feeling good about himself, and he's out there. And, you know, I guess, you know, this is part of the, you know, where you got to learn that he doesn't understand this. 
Right. So the pitcher's not paying any attention to him. He's about one-sixth of the plate. They're just trying to get through the last – that the eighth inning, basically, and get the game over with. Well, Michael takes off and steals third base, Uh-oh. up 11 to nothing. <laughs> and Tito, he looks at Michael and goes, what are you doing? <laughs> and he turns to their dugout. He goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll take care of it. I promise. And he goes, what in the name of God? He goes, we'll talk about it after the game. So we get in the clubhouse after the game and go to Tito's office. And Tito goes, you can't be running, stealing a base up 11 to nothing in the eighth inning. He goes, and MJ goes, well, hell, I didn't know. He goes, in the NBA, we get up by 30 and we want to get up by 40 in the fourth. So a little bit different mentality. But that was probably the biggest one that came up. but then there were a lot of parallels, too, that mm-hmm. with him that you look at in his preparation daily. Um, you know, you, I go back to his being the defensive player of the year mm-hmm. for I don't know how many years. And he took such great pride in that. And that's why understanding players' tendencies, and we would talk about pitchers' moves and times to the plate. But the thing about it is, was interesting, he had – did a great job stealing bases that year as well. Yeah, like and, 30 steals or something like that, right? Yeah, and I, I don't remember exactly what the number was, but just to start seeing over the course of the year and him start understanding tendencies of pitchers, times that he could run on, times that he couldn't, understanding what a slide step was and things of those nature, uh, it, just, it, it just made sense why this guy had been the uh, defensive player of the year for sure because he pays so much attention to detail. And one of the big things that he always talked about was playing for Dean Smith. You have to pay attention to the fundamentals. The fundamentals are the game. And he carried that from basketball into baseball. All right, you guys hit it like, Barney, uh, with a guy that tall, hit the strike zone on him. How, How did he control that? Or how did he learn to control that? Or did he? Well, I mean, I think he did pretty well. I mean, he didn't, he walked a fair amount because of the fact that he started learning the strike zone. At first he had no idea. And the biggest thing that we would do, like in our soft toss sessions, our batting practice sessions, one of the biggest things that I wanted to get into his head are where are your strengths? And you, you need to take care of your strengths and not try so much to cover up your weaknesses. So we really talked about, you know, what pitches you hit the best and what pitches you need to stay away from until you get two strikes. And he really did a good job with that. And, you know, he got better. Once once they started throwing him a ton of breaking balls, um, he was swinging at every one of them that came up there just because he's so competitive. And I don't think people remember this, but I believe it was he started out with a 13-game hitting streak. And oh. we had done – some mechanical adjustments to square them up in the box and get them working straight ahead. Because what all the scouts had said, that he's way off the plate, he's diving in, he's out in front, he's all you got to do is pound him with fastballs in. And I had got to see some at-bats in spring training when he was with the Major League Club. And they said his best bolt would be a little dribbler down the third base line and broken back, you know, if he gets to it. Yeah. So we, we squared him up and got him working straight ahead. And for a guy that hadn't played, he was getting to the fastball and fastballs in and just basically dropping the head of the bat on it and was getting hits through the five, six hole, occasionally sneak a ball down the line, pass the third baseman and get a double. 
Um, and, you know, that went on for about uh, two weeks. And every night I'm sitting there coaching first baseball. And when's it going to happen? Yeah. And it finally, <laughs> it, it finally did uh, because everybody around the league had had the same scouting report. Well, he had adjusted there, but now the breaking ball started coming into play. And this goes back to the understanding the strike zone and things like that. We would go out every day after doing our cage work, and then we'd go out and take extra batting practice, and then we'd hit off the breaking ball machine on the field every day at home. And the biggest thing that I did was try to set it up on hanging breaking balls. This is the ones that you can attack. Then occasionally I'd set it up on sharper ones that I go, now these are the ones you have to lay off of, and you've got to start understanding the shapes of breaking balls and where they're hangers. And you've got to take advantage of the hangers because you're not going to hit the good ones. So I think conversely, he started adjusting and his eye at the plate got better. And the, it, it seems like it's a natural progression. Dealing with players in the minor leagues that are coming up, you'll see that, that well, this guy can hit a fastball, but he can't hit a breaking ball to save his life. Mm-hmm. And you kind of go through the, some of these same progressions and it takes younger players who have experience, is all they've done is play baseball. It would take some guys a year and a half to two years to get through this process because it would be like, finally, they're going, okay, in the game, I'm recognizing the hanger, but I can't pull the trigger on it. I said, just keep going. At least you're recognizing what a hanger is now and you're making better decisions. And then eventually you start able to pull the trigger on hanging breaker balls and take advantage of them. And he made that adjustment in probably about a month and a half period of time where it got much better. Whereas a lot of guys, it took a year and a half, two years to get better. Wow. Do, you, so, do you think, do you think coming in as, as a 30 year old, you know, who an professional athlete, but a 30 years old, as opposed to 22, 23, 24, which is what you see normally at double a, you know, made him, better more equipped to make those adjustments quickly like like that yeah I think the thing that he was able to do I mean the 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 game obviously got fast on him Mm -hmm. but I think that through playing you know major college basketball North Carolina and with the Bulls and championship runs and everything like that he knew ways to slow himself down and he knew how to pull himself back and understood what he needed to do but he couldn't always do it but I think that was a definite plus for him that he had been in situations where mentally he knew he had to slow the game down. And, and it, it for sure helped him being 30 and having that experience behind him. Wow. Uh, did, did you guys, did, did, did bunting and using his speed and his athleticism ever, ever, <coughs> ever enter into the equation? It really did. And, and that's another thing that we ended up working a lot on. And he was able to get a few bunt base hits And the way that I presented it to him was, hey, you know, some nights you're just not going to feel good timing-wise. You're going to face a guy that's got a really good breaking ball or something of that nature. And you got to find a way because you can fly. And if you can get on base, whether it be via the walk or a bunt for a base hit, you're giving our team a chance to win because you got a chance to maybe, even without swinging the bat, you may get a walk and a bunt base hit one night and score two runs and we win five to four. And I said, that's huge. And so he goes, well, so that's kind of like the NBA, where if my jumper's not falling, I got to find a way to get a layup. And I said, perfect analogy. 
And I said, so you've got to use this tool. We've got to work on it. It's not easy. But I said, it'll be something that will benefit you down the road. And it did. And we also talked about the fact that, you know, he was initially more of a pull guy. But I said, the thing that's going to help, help you is if you can bunt for a base hit, you're going to draw the third baseman in because he's going to have to respect that in your speed. And I said, now it's going to open up more holes in the five, six hole or down the line. And, and that, it was fun because once you explained it to him, he got it. It made perfect sense to him. So in that sense, it was, that was not hard to get the point across. It, it was just harder executing it sometimes. Is it, is it fun to, to sort of sit back and, and see with the, with the, the, the documentary being on uh, every week now and, and sort of all these stories coming out? And just like you, you said before we got on here, how, how it's, it's been, you know, 25 years since that, that season took place for you to, to sit back and, and, you know, remember where you were or, or what was going on at those times. And, you know, I, I personally, I love seeing the videos of, of uh, a young, a fresh Tito Fra- Francona uh, coaching in double A. It's, it's just different now from what we're used to seeing. Yeah. <laughs> It, it is funny, and I think back of those days, and I go, God, what happened to you, Tito? <laughs> <laughs> but we, I mean, I look back at it, it's, and it's so much fun to go back down that memory lane because you look at what transpired after that. I mean, not only that was a great year, and being able to have a tremendous athlete, probably maybe the best ever to play any sports, but – and just to see how he went about it and then how Tito was able to use that to help him through his career as a manager, dealing with a player like that. And that was the thing that was good is really Michael was closer to our age, the coaching staff, Mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, Tito, myself and Kirk champion than he was to the other players on the club. So we spent a lot of time together and talked about things like that. Talked about makeup of, players talked about the makeup of a team and what was a good teammate and things of those nature. So it's fun to go back down memory lane, but then you look at the success, especially that Tito's had through his whole career. And I think it was a tremendous benefit to all of us for sure. Barney, was he, was there ever any like question in your mind about just how serious he was? I mean, when you first heard he's going to try to play baseball and is it, I mean, is this just a guy, you know, a superstar on a lark here or was, was he deadly serious? No, he was deadly serious. And of course, going into spring training, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how he would be, um, but he was fantastic. And I think, you know, when he would deal with the media or sometimes people away, he would be, a little bit almost standoffish kind of and but then he when he would get with us he was fantastic I mean we had so much fun people don't realize how fun loving this guy is and and he likes to have fun and I think that's why he and Tito blended in so well they got it we're here to win and when it comes 705 at night we're out there to you know beat your brains in yeah but you got to have fun during the day but you got to work during the day it was just such a tremendous blend. And I didn't know what to expect of how he was going to be and, and everything like that. But he was deadly serious about it, being the best baseball player that he could be. And, you know, if he wasn't, he'd show up at the ballpark at 4 o'clock and, you know, maybe take batting practice, play the game. He was there early at probably like noon, 1 o'clock every day 
we would do our cage work. We would watch film. We would go out for extra batting practice. We'd hit off the breaking ball machine. We'd have regular batting practice uh, and then get ready and play the game. Then after the game every night, that's when we would talk about the at-bats. And that's, that was probably one of the most memorable things is I would watch it every night, how he would deal with the media, very professional, whether he had a good night or he had a horrible night. He may have had a night where 0 for 4 with three punch outs and it was a really tough night, but he would deal with the media so professionally that we had a little cage that we had and our clubhouse guy would put six Bud Light tall boys in there. <laughs> and after he got done with the media, he'd come in and we never drank. We'd maybe finish one each, but we'd talk about the at-bats that night. But you could see how the game had brought him to his knees certain nights. I mean, it, he knew it was tough. And everybody goes, well, how did he deal with the failure of that? And I said, well, the biggest thing is we would talk about that night, what things went through his mind and what we needed to start working on for the next day. And the biggest thing after we'd sit there and talk for 10 or 15 minutes is we'd go back to hitting. And to me, I just kind of attributed that that was his way of turning the page on that day. And some nights it was good nights. And we would dwell on the positives and things like that. Let's get it better for tomorrow. But if it was a tough night, that was his way to turn the page going into the next day because we would hit and we'd start working on the things that we wanted to get done the next day. And it was really a neat neat period of time and, and fun to see. And like I said, it's no wonder this guy was as successful as he was in his career because uh, he certainly had the tools or created the tools himself to be able to do it. I think in – in you know listening to you guys talk and and going back and seeing some of the stuff that's already been been published about that season uh it, it's sort of preparing at least me and anybody who's listening to this for for Sunday night when people are going to watch that and think oh well he only did baseball for you know just to to pass the time or you know be, for whatever reason he did that he wasn't serious about it you guys you paint the picture and you, you really do sort of let people know that, yeah, he really worked hard at this, and, and you guys were, were sort of there to, to steward him through that and, and, and be there as he, he really did dedicate himself for that year uh, to, to getting better at baseball. Well, you know, the funny thing is you hear the old term like, oh, this guy hit till his hands bleed. MJ did it every day, and he was constantly in the training room getting stuff, taking care of the blisters and things like oh, that, yeah. getting the calluses. He, his hands would bleed every day. It was amazing. Right. And uh, so to put that kind of dedication and time in, uh, yeah, he was deadly serious about it. Uh, it had to be interesting. You, you know, you look up one night and Charles Barkley's in your clubhouse. Uh, that's got to be something different. It's just for the experience of, of having him there for that year. Yeah, and, and, and Charles was a blast to be around too. And, <laughs> Imagine uh, that. <laughs> again, I, I think you what you see, Charles, how fun-loving he is and – and open in the public and everything like that. MJ, you, it would appear, is more reserved and things like that. But you can see why Charles and MJ were such good friends because behind the scenes, that's just the way MJ is too. And, um, yeah, we had a lot of interesting people come through for sure. And uh, it was fun and it was exciting. You're playing in front of packed house every night for 142 games. And uh, that made it, made it a special, special year. 
and just the competition factor with him. I mean, I've, I've just never seen a competitor like him. Uh, never have before, and I don't think I ever will see anybody like that again. Did, did any uh, pitchers, opposing pitchers, kind of take livers, liberties with him? Barney, you know, kind of throw inside or just kind of, you know, maybe mess with him a little bit? Oh, yeah. I think I think a few guys, you know, have that mean streak in them and stuff like that. And, and it was basically like, you're coming here, you know, and jumping into my world. And you know what? You're going to you're going to learn what my world's like because you're trying to take, you know, food yeah. off my family's table. So, yeah, there were guys that uh, that did that. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of guys didn't want to give up a hit to them and stuff like that. But I think as the year went on, I think guys respected him around the league because of the way that he played the game, whether it be good or bad. He always ran balls out. Again, a big thing that Tito's about. And I don't think MJ would ever, you know, uh, not do that anyway. But again, I think players respected him as the year went on and less and less of that started happening. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to, you know, buzz Michael Jordan or anything like that. He became a guy that was just another prospect trying to get to the big leagues. All right. Well, uh, certainly the, uh, the insights that you're able to provide here with, with us uh, have been really great uh, just to, to sort of listen to about this. Uh, again, a unique season, one like, uh, you know, you've probably never seen and never will see again. Uh, but, you know, transition into this up, upcoming or possible season in 2020, another one that would be unlike anybody has ever seen before. Uh, you know, how are you staying prepared, staying ready for uh, the eventual callback and, and when they, they get things started here in, in 2020 uh, with the Indians? Well, we've had uh... – a ton of zoom calls obviously with the coaching staff and the front office and also with the players as well, which is, has been great. It's great to see their faces and everything like that. And really it's now kind of starting to shift into a mode of, okay, this is what it may look like. What's it going to be like playing in front of no fans and, you know, getting guys prepared for that. And I think we're going to have, you know, a lot of probably conference calls, Zoom calls to get guys prepared for that and just openly discuss that there's going to be times where this may not be a lot of fun. It may not be comfortable what we're used to have happening. And basically, how are we going to head this off initially to when we get to that point to continue to keep each other moving and pushing in the right direction? And as Tito talks about, how are we going to do this from here till we get to a spring training situation or till we get to uh, the actual opening day? How are we going to do this better than the other 29 teams out there? And uh, I think that's pretty much the focus where we're at right now. Now it's just a matter of trying to put together all the plans as to how we're going to do it. With, uh, you know, how is your role going to be different or, or you know, under maybe more scrutiny this year? with all the changes uh, because of the Astros and the, the Red Sox controversies in the offseason? Well, I don't think as far as that role is, for me, is going to change any because we've respected the way the game is and the way it should be played, and we didn't have any part in that. Uh, so from that, it's going to be pretty much the same. The only real big difference is they've cut the challenges down from you've got 30 seconds to decide to now it's 20 seconds to decide. Yeah. <laughs> so – it, it basically comes down to, you know, it's going to have to be a pretty 
egregious call to get it overturned, and you're going to have to make a quick decision and see it. It's not one that you're going to have to be able to spend a lot of time on. Uh, so that'll be a little bit of a difference. And then the other part of it is going to be, instead of doing all the advanced stuff on opposition pitching, this year I'm going to do more of the overall prep on the club and more or less relay all that stuff to Tito and mm-hmm. be prep him for a series basically okay. on – and one thing we want to talk about, there's a lot of analytics and numbers out there, but how's the club coming in that we're playing, how they've been in the last 10 days? Um, and that's something I think you can lose a little bit in the analytics – and so it, it's going to be without being at the other team's actual game, but watching it on video, listening to their announcers, uh, paying a little bit more attention to that detail. So we have a little bit better of a snapshot as to where that club is that we're playing right now. How much do you normally rely on listening to that, that audio feed from the other team's announcers? Can you, can you get, can you mine sort of nuggets about hitters or pitchers out of, of what they're saying? Well, without it now, when you're doing the when I was doing the advance on the pitching, it's more or less just watching the guy pitch and doing everything like that. You didn't really listen to the announcers. But in this realm, it's going to be a little bit different because a guy may be coming off a hamstring injury, and you may be able to get some input into okay, this guy's third the league in stolen bases, but the last 10 days, this guy hasn't run once. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the announcers will tip off the fact as to how this guy's hamstring is coming along, um, how certain guys have been performing as of late. You may get a situation, you always go over who's hot, who's cold. Well, you may get a guy that is two for his last 22, but all of a sudden you're watching and you're hearing the announcer saying, this guy's run into a period of bad luck because he is scorching the baseball. Mm-hmm. And – you know, you go, well, you can't really say, well, this guy's struggling two for 22 because he's swinging the bat great. Swearing him up. So yeah. just some of those things I think it's going to be important to listen to. I think a lot of – even listen to the radio pregame shows. You may be able to pick up stuff that hopefully I can throw out there that will be able to help Tito, you know, make decisions in games and understand better where this club is at that we're playing at the, the current time. Barney, what, kind, what plan do you like? I mean, we've, we've heard so many different ones – you know, playing in Arizona, you know, now the maybe, you know, playing in big league parks, dividing, uh, you know, three ten team divisions or staying into the traditional divisions and, you know, mostly playing in your own park and in your own division to kind of reduce travel. What what do you think about that? Well, I think the, the one that I've heard the best and, and the thing I think it's good is because we're all in Arizona, it kind of takes – the baseball interest from the central and the Eastern time zone out of being able to watch live baseball. And I think if we're in our own time zones or relatively close, either, you know, like Texas teams are going to be more in the West, but I think it's going to be good because fans are actually going to get to watch their team at a normal uh, time, like a seven o'clock Eastern time. We'll be playing at seven o'clock and they can watch it. It'll be normal. And I just think that – and actually playing in your own ballpark, even though fans won't be allowed in, I think that they'll get and have more interest. I think they'll be able to read your stories. And, and they know that the team's right down the street. They'll watch the game on TV. I think it's a great plan doing it that way. Uh, spring training, I would rather probably have it in Arizona because I think we can get more done and be more efficient with stuff and, and probably play outside competition. 
Yeah. But I think the three 10-team divisions, as crazy it is, throwing a little bit of a different wrench in. You got the National League, the American League mixed in together. You look at all of those divisions, there's still a lot of great rivalries in there. And I I think it'll be – and they've talked about expanding the playoffs from maybe 10 to 14 teams. I think it would be an exciting year. It's not something I – being a purist that I would want to see happen as we go back into 2021. But for this year and creating interest, I think it would be fantastic. Yeah, definitely a lot of different possibilities. Uh, did you stay up last night and watch the uh, the Korean baseball opening day? No, 1 o'clock. That was a little bit uh, late for me. <laughs> well, you know, I got to ask, because uh, we've been around and, and seen around and, and seen you on the road and whatnot. What's it like going on the road with Tito? What's uh, what, Do you guys – uh, take care of each other? Do you, do you have fun with each other? What, what's, uh, do, do you sleep on the plane with, with sort of one eye open because you don't know what's coming? Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> on the plane, I'm always, I mean, I'll be sound asleep, tired, and he starts pelting me with grapes, and we start throwing grapes back and forth. And, <laughs> I mean, he's done. I, yeah, I, I can't get any sleep on the plane anymore because who knows what he, – he may throw a cheeseburger at me. So – yeah, we're we're constantly uh, going back and forth, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. But really, you know, that's that's a little bit of time to relax, unwind, have fun. But usually, the day to day is, hey, let's get up and we're going to the ballpark at eleven thirty and prepare for the game, and uh, you know, let's let's go at it. And you know, it's it's funny that people don't understand or haven't been with them. He'll talk every day about, okay, what time do you want to go to the park tomorrow? And it'll be, uh, let's say, he'll say, well, let's go to 1130. Well, you better be down there waiting in the hotel lobby at 11 o'clock because it, he's definitely, he's antsy. He wants to get there. He wants to prepare. <laughs> and it happened to Brian Sweeney when we were in, uh, in Puerto Rico because Tito said, well, let's go to 1130. And well, it's 1115. And, you know, Carl or Tito goes, call Sweetie and says if he wants to go, he better go. And so he learned about the thirty-minute rule in a hurry. <laughs> it's like the Lombardi rule, right? <laughs> yeah. It, well, yeah. And he's going to hammer me no matter what. <laughs> well, no, uh, no special haircuts or anything like that. You got to worry about now. Now that you're in quarantine, right? Yeah. Well, that's one thing he would love to do is cut my hair. And he's while I'm asleep on the plane, I take a big <laughs> chunk out of it. And he's tried. That's again. That's why I can't go to sleep on the plane anymore. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be back to, to, to playing something that feels a little more regular and a little more normal uh, once we get back on the field and, and are, we're back around you guys. Uh, Mike, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, you joining us. And, uh, A, we're looking forward to, to seeing all the old video clips on Sunday night with, uh, with the last dance. Uh, certainly exciting to, to see you guys there, but then uh, even more so just to get back on the field and get, get out there with you guys and, and – being around the team. I couldn't agree more. Joe Hoinsey, it's been fun. I've really Thanks, enjoyed Mike. it. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Stay Appreciate well. it.